Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go in to the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. As always, we ask you two things. Download the app, the Veritas app. Share it with your friends. You'll have access to all of our station's content. And wherever you see Joe and I on social media, uh, we usually are getting in trouble on uh, on YouTube at the Frontline TV or Twitter at with Joe and Joe, at with Joe and Joe. Like, subscribe, share, follow, do all that fun stuff. Today, we're very pleased and honored to be welcoming back a friend of the program, uh, Father Dwight Longenecker. Father Dwight, who is a prolific author, has written a new book, The Way of the Wilderness Warrior, and that is available at Sophia Press. As always, you know, I'm going to ask you, please, not only buy the book, but please buy the book from the publisher. Let's uh, let's support our Catholic publishers. Very important. Now, everybody out there, I would say nearly everybody out there in the audience knows who Father Longenecker is. Having said that, uh, Father Longenecker, Father Dwight Longenecker was brought up in an evangelical home in Pennsylvania. After graduating from Bob Jones University with a degree in speech and English, he went to study theology at Oxford University. Eventually, he was ordained as an Anglican priest and served as a curate, a school chaplain in Cambridge, and a country parson on the Isle of Wight. In 1995, he and his family were received into the Catholic Church. For 10 years, we, uh, he continued to live in England, where he worked as a freelance writer and charity worker. Then in 2006, the door opened to return to the United States and be ordained as a Catholic priest. I just want to say thank God that happened. And he now serves as pastor of Our Lady of the Rosary Church in Greenville, South Carolina. Father Dwight Longenecker, welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe. Thanks. Happy Easter to you all. Happy Easter to you. Um, and Father, this is a, this is a work of, uh, of fiction. Am I correct? Uh, yeah, it is. But, uh, well, I'd say yes and no. Uh, it's, it's an interesting uh, story about how this book got written. Uh, I was going to write a book on uh, spirituality, but uh, I kind of got stuck, and it was in gestation for a long time. And finally, I struck on the idea of doing it in a fictionalized form. So a friend of mine who uh, sort of reviewed it uh, read it as a novel and found it to be wanting in that format. And I said, yeah, it's not really a novel, proper novel. It's a book about spirituality presented in a novelized form. So it's a little okay. bit of a little bit of a hybrid. All right. Um, all right. So with that, I'm going to hand it over to Joe Resinello. Joe? Father, could you lead us with a prayer before we begin? Sure. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, you sent your Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth and to comfort us in all times of darkness. We pray that you will fulfill that Holy Spirit, that promise to us now. Send the Holy Spirit to inspire our conversation and to share our time together through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Father, I just wanted to say before uh, we get into this book, I thoroughly enjoyed Beheading Hydra, and I recommend everyone to go and buy it. Um, and I, I mean this um, because this is what we do. We talk about the culture war. We talk to a lot of people. 
I honestly believe, and I, I wouldn't say this to you if I didn't believe it, you nail it. You nail yeah. it, you diagnose the problem, and you offer real solutions. That is a very good book, and I think it's very useful for this time, honestly. And I, I, think, I, I recommend all people to go get it. I think the most important thing that Joe just said uh, as it pertains to the book is you offer solutions. Every, a lot of people out there, Father, they're, they're, they're ranting, they're raving. They're not wrong, not saying that they're not wrong in their diagnoses, but they're not offering solutions. And that's exactly what you did with Beheading Hydra. So I second what Joe said. Uh, very important book for, for those out there who are interested in these things to go out and read. Thanks. I really do believe that um, our Catholic faith practiced in a just not in any sort of unusual way, but just, as I've said in the book, doing what Catholics are supposed to be doing uh, is actually the answer to the problems of our age, um, and that uh, an awful lot of Catholics, both priests and lay people, haven't really could have connected the dots and snapped things together and shown how the stuff that we're supposed to be doing, our worship, our giving, our service, our devotions, our prayers, our contemplation, all these things actually have a real practical spiritual warfare application in the world today and uh, in the book i'm trying to say look folks just do what we're supposed to be doing and that is uh, actually the way we're putting putting on the full armor of god and getting on doing and then fighting the fight absolutely joe resinello father i want to talk about getting out of our comfort zones because ultimately i'll, I'll relate it to business nothing ventured nothing gained well the same goes for the spiritual life. If you don't risk anything, I got news for you. You're not going to go anywhere. It's like in it's it's like in life. And we got to get out of our comfort zones. People are just too comfortable, particularly in America. And I think this is like a theme of this book. But talk about that because listen, Christ was radical. The most radical man probably that ever walked the earth. We have to live radical lives. Someone said this to me, and it resonated. They said, Joe, people should look at your life and basically say, what you do is impossible. And then your answer is, yes, it is impossible. But I have God, and that makes it possible. Talk about that, because I think that's what we're not doing as a Catholic community. Yeah, Um the, the book, Way of the Wilderness Warrior, uh, brought together brings together some different themes that I've been working on for a long time. And when I left the Anglican priesthood, I trained as a script writer. And that caused me to, um, brought me to study story structure and how stories are put together in order to write a good script for a good movie. And uh, that led me to the work of a guy called Joseph Campbell, who's a mythologist. And he studied stories from around the world. And he came up with this idea that there's basically one story that rules them all, and that's the hero's quest. Uh, and in story after story, in culture after culture, in novels and in fairy tales and in movies and in all kinds of books, the hero's quest in one in many, many different forms is the essential story. And the hero's quest, and so I use this as a kind of template for the spiritual path, because the biblical heroes and the heroes of the church, the saints, also follow this hero's quest pattern, if you like. And so I use this as a kind of template or pattern to explain the spiritual quest in the book, The Way of the Wilderness Warrior. And to get to your point now, the first stage of that hero's quest is the ordinary world, which is, in other words, your comfort zone. 
a place where everything is in place, where uh, your belief system is in place, where your religion is in place, your family is in place. You've got everything kind of lined up. You've got all your ducks in a row and everything's nice and comfort comfortable. And you've got to the place where you can sort of relax. And you're right. This is where we are in America. We have we are so affluent. We're so secure. We're so wealthy. Everything is sort of get sort of together. And Jesus comes into the middle of that. In the Gospels, they follow the same pattern. <clears throat> what does he do? He comes into Capernaum, which is the comfort zone of Peter, Andrew, James, and John. They've got their family fishing business. They've got their hometown. They've got their people around them. They've got the synagogue. They've got everything set up. And Jesus says, hey, come and follow me. Leave your fishing nets and follow me. In other words, leave your comfort zone, come out of there, and come on the great adventure, come on the great quest. And so this is what we're required to do if we're going to follow the Lord Jesus. In one way or another, sooner or later, that call will come. For some people, come for many people, comes in youth and in early adulthood. Um, but it's, it's not uh, something which happens once and done. I mean, even in middle life and in later life, God will call us to leave the comfort zone and step up in some way or other to, to lead, to follow him in a more radical way. You know, one of the one of the uh, one of the movies I love so much that depicts the life of Jesus Christ is uh, Franco Zeffirelli's Jesus of Nazareth. Um, uh -huh. And along those lines, because you just reminded me of something, Father, I remember being struck by it. Uh, maybe not the first time I saw it, but at one point when I saw it, and I was watching it more closely. There's a shot of Peter standing on the shore and the camera is pulling away because now he's on mm -hmm. the other side of the shore where his, he left his family on on the other side and i remember thinking in my mind then that's that's really on one on one level or another that is that is what we're called to do um yeah. and 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 i think I that's mean, what I, 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 go ahead father please yeah um not tooting my own horn but my, my autobiography comes out in the fall you guys want to we want to read it but i can remember as a student in um america college student in america i was called to england uh, to go on this <laughs> crazy idea of being an English, an English priest, you know, uh, and then later on, I was called to, from that to the Catholic Church, and later on from that to the Catholic priesthood and to return to the U.S. So, yeah, it's not a once and done thing. It's a kind of it's a lifestyle rather than just one choice. I think one of the one of the false narratives that's presented out there, and if you're just joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, uh, we're joined by Father Dwight Longenecker. We're discussing his new book, The Way of the Wilderness Warrior. Uh, the please, that's available at Sophia Press. Buy it from the publisher. One of the false narratives, Father Longenecker, is that Christianity, um, rightly lived, is boring. It's it's you're 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 just you're not doing anything. You're not you're not out there partying. You're not out there you know pursuing the the, the material gain and 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 all that and uh, you know and all the things the culture tries to sell you. Um, talk about that because I look at it this way. Um, if I compare my life now compared to where it was, let's say I don't know twenty years ago when I first started to take the faith seriously again in my in my mid thirties, I, I could look back on it and honestly say no 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 that life was boring that prior life from my mid-teens to let's say my mid-30s that was boring and predictable and the gerbil wheel of life if you will and in the last 20 years it's been wow where did that come from you know and i think that's kind of that's my own little yeah. personal reflection on that that's that, that's what i see it's just, it's the opposite it's not boring yeah you're absolutely right the you know 
the human instinct, of course, is to build a nest, is to build a home, is to build the comfort zone, is to make it safe, is to make it secure, to make it comfortable, to have everything in place. That's the human instinct. So that's forgivable. That's the way we're wired. However, the gospel comes in, Jesus comes into the middle of that and says, actually, you got it totally wrong. It's the, the human instinct, the, the deeper human instinct is to st- set out and be a pioneer and to be a, uh, to go in the hero's quest and to get, leave the comfort zone. And that's countercultural. And what we've done in the, in, the, in the Christian faith, and the Catholics are guilty of this as well as the Protestants, is <clears throat> we've used the faith to help to furnish our comfort zone. We've used the faith, to, in other words, for exactly the opposite thing that it should be used for. We've used it, instead of going out and using it to go out on the quest, we've used it to actually refortify our little comfort zone and to turn the church into a little comfortable fortress where we're in with all the people that believe like we do and turning it into a little sect and make it a happy little, um, you know, happy little club, happy warm little club. And in fact, we're actually when we do that, we're using the church for exa- and the faith for exactly the opposite thing of what it's supposed to be designed for. It's meant to be a, um, you know, a ladder to climb on. It's not meant to be a lazy boy chair to sit on. I agree. And you use the term adventure, and it is an adventure. I could look at my own life, and I want you to tell uh, a segment of your life when you uh, backpacked through England. I want, because I think that shows about Providence, and then we'll get into the adventure of uh, Austin, the character in the book. I mean, I've been on the back of a motorcycle in India. I've been in Haiti. I've been in tenements in Chinatown with the missionaries of charity. Like I've, there have been moments of my life and I work in a bank. I'm not supposed to do that. Do you know what I'm saying? I have five kids like, 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 but God will put you in places. If you allow him that for to, to, to that narrative question, it's the opposite. You'll do things. You'll be like, I can't believe I'm doing this. I can't believe I'm here. And why I bring that up, you backpacked through Europe. You didn't know where you're going to sleep. You're staying in monasteries. Talk about that because that's an adventure. That's not a vacation in Jamaica where you're sipping on a rub drink and looking at the ocean. That's a, that's what people think of an adventure, you know, in mainstream America. It's better. In 1987, I I was still an Anglican priest. I had three months free, and I decided to go on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, uh, hitchhiking from England to Jerusalem, all across France and Italy and Greece and so forth. It was, yeah, it was a great adventure. It was much better than finding a beach to sit on. Um, and I wasn't sure where I was going to stay. I was, I had a list of some monasteries I was aiming for, but um, I went day by day, taking what the Lord gives. And it was, you know, I met wonderful people. I've had uh, wonderful um, experiences. Um, it was a bit rough sometimes, you know, and uh, it was a bit unexpected, but, but that, you know, uh, in The Hobbit, Bilbo Baggins says uh, the definition of an adventure is that when you're in the middle of it, you wish you were at home in front of the fire. <laughs> well, that's it. That's then you have the memory. <laughs> yeah, you know, and so that that and and the spiritual life should be like that too. Uh, yeah. I mean, this is this is such a great conversation, and that's why, Father, we, we you know we always see it, Joe and I on the show that you know we learn as much, Joe and I, as you know from from writers like yourself um, and leaders like yourself. And you are a leader; you're a spiritual leader for for many of us out here. Um, so we just want to thank you for what you do, Father Dwight Longenecker, is joining us here. Please go out and buy the book, "The Way of the Wilderness Warrior." That is out from Sophia Press. Um, Father, did you have a question or? 
I said, okay, I, that's okay. Um, so let, let me, let's uh, jump into the uh, kind of like a little bit of the book. Uh, so in the book, you tell the story of the conversion of a young man named Austin through the work and example of a, a tough inner city priest. Couple Joe and I are, are familiar with a couple of those guys, a couple of Franciscan friars at a renewal. And uh, the priest challenges nine college students to take a leap of faith uh, to on the path to holiness. So give us, a, like, uh, first of all, how did you come up with the story? Is it based on somebody you know, or a particular person? Uh, no, uh, what happened was, if, uh, as I said at the beginning of our of our talk, uh, I was researching a book on spirituality, and I came across, uh, in my research, I realized there were three different approaches to writing about spirituality. One is, uh, you're a saint, and so you've written <laughs> a spiritual masterpiece, like Teresa of Avila or Therese of Lisieux or St. Francis de Sales, um, and you write uh, from your experience, and uh, therefore you end up writing a spiritual masterpiece. Well, I'm not a saint. So that was not one of the ways forward. Second way was writers who basically do their research on the great spiritual masters like St. Francis de Sales and, and St. Ignatius Loyola and so forth and so on. And then they write a kind of anthology with their own bits put in where they're they're explaining the different the spiritual path using excerpts from these different writers the different uh, Catholic spiritual writers. And various writers have done this, like Ralph Martin and Brent Pitchrie and and uh, various others. And they're worthy, good books, but they're kind of dry, you know, and, and uh, they don't speak to the heart as much as the first version, which is a saint writing about his experiences. So in my further research, I come across Elred of Rivo, who is a uh, Benedictine monk from the Middle Ages in England who wrote a beautiful treatise on friendship uh, and also on the uh, <clears throat> dialogues of St. Gregory the Great and found that there was another way to communicate and, and, and the writings of the Desert Fathers uh, and uh, also the writings of St. Cassian, that there's another way to communicate these spiritual truths and that is through dialogue. Uh, in which a searcher uh, begins to discuss these things. It's a Socratic method you know, to just ask questions and to discuss it back and forth and to record that conversation. I said, aha, that's the way to do it. I want somebody in a conversation with a spiritual master. I then decided to write it in a modernized fictional form in which this young st college student, Austin Fairfax, uh, actually goes and finds this mentor, this hermit, because... Uh, who's called Father Elred Louie uh, in a monastery in Oklahoma. Uh, and so therefore the dialogue develops where he, where he learns the spiritual path by his, by going on this journey and finding him. So it, it worked pretty well. Um, and, Talk and about I, that I, relationship a little bit between the two. I think that's interesting because uh, as we all know, there's a great monastery, Benedictine monastery in Oklahoma uh, as well. Called, yeah, called Clear Creek. And uh, the monastery in my book is called Cripple Creek. So Nice. Uh, I, I, but I was in uh, in conversation with Abbot Anderson, who's the who's the abbot at Clear Creek, uh, and he read the book and uh, and gave a recommendation for it. So I don't feel too bad calling it Cripple Creek. That, that's great. One thing I will tell you, tell you, Father, is I be I've come to appreciate that Socratic method much more. In let's say for example, the last five or ten years, I used to like love where it's just kind of like straight up debate one side, the other side, which that's great, and, and, and you know it's, a, it's interesting. 
But I find it much more interesting when people bounce questions off one another to 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 further the conversation, to 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 strive towards the truth of something. I I, I just I, I just find it. That's my own little personal thing. I find it very fascinating. I notice some people doing that a lot more lately. So I, I appreciate you it's, using it's much, that in your book. It's also a much better method for apologetics instead of standing up on your soapbox and and beating people over the head with your truth. Actually, engage them in conversation about it. Right. And, and and to me, I mean, for because we have the truth on our side, which is Jesus Christ, okay, then we can't go wrong. We have nothing to fear by, let's say, probing the the atheist or or the agnostic, you know, and, and asking them certain questions. I, I just think it's it, it it's much more useful that way. And I think it's a lot more interesting for those who might be watching that dialogue. And speaking of that dialogue, you crafted this fictional dialogue and it unveils a 12-part plan for union with God. Can you can you Kind of break that down for our audience at the Veritas Catholic Network. Yeah, the 12-part plan is basically a reworked version of Joseph Campbell's Hero's Quest. Um, the 12-part plan, uh, anybody who's watched a movie or read a great book will, will see this 12-part plan, how it unfolds. When you're, you're in, the hero's in his ordinary world, uh, he hears the call to adventure. He refuses the call of adventure. He meets a mentor. Uh, who uh, is a guide or a or a, a a grandfather in the faith, if you like? He takes the step of faith, um, and then it goes on from there. The next six or seven stages, uh, exploring and going on this great adventure. Uh, but in the book, where the wilderness warrior, we actually use that as a template for the spiritual to understand the steps of the spiritual journey. Father, I, I have a quick question. I'm going to hand it over to Joe. It just came to my mind. When you when people think about these adventures or, or journeys, if you will, I think we're many times. And please correct me if I'm wrong. Um, many times we're more interested in the goal, and obviously the goal is is important. Okay, maybe the most important thing, but each step has a significance. In other words, they're not there arbitrarily, especially in God's plan. You might think you're stuck in the mud. You might think you're not. You, you know, you're not getting towards that goal. But am I wrong in saying? But each step matters. Every single step along the way. Yeah, every step matters. Not only, and also because we tend to think of things as a as a um, continuous narrative uh, form. One step always follows the other, and it must follow the other in this particular pattern. Uh, and that's the fault sometimes of these spiritual um, sort of maps, if you like. <laughs> Or even the one that I have laid out in the book, I tried to make clear in the book that although there are 12 steps that can be followed, this is uh, actually more cyclical than it is linear. In other words, you can experience these same steps over and over again, or they can be in a jumbled order. They're not necessarily in the same order, although we laid them out in the same order to discuss it and understand it. So, for instance, the the step of um, leaving our ordinary world, stepping out of our comfort zone— that can happen one time when we're when we're in our twenties, but it, as I've said, it can happen again at various milestones in life. Uh, and in fact, it needs to be a kind of lifestyle, a way, a mentality that we're always stepping out of our comfort zone. We're always encountering the call. We're always refusing the call. We're always listening to the mentor. We're always um, taking the step of faith. And so, each one of the stages is can be conceived as a linear narrative sequence but each one is also something which we're living in all the time joe resinella it also points out a couple realities i mean the reality is if you want to get to heaven we have to progress in union with god that's the path to heaven i don't think 
people think of it that way. Like, like, like in terms of like, they just think like, yeah, I'm a good guy and I died and I'm going to heaven. Well, you got to kind of get closer to God on earth and you need a plan. Americans love plans. We have business plans. We have plans to get in shape. Vacation plans. Yeah, like everybody's got a plan, but ultimately the most important plan is to get to heaven. And you do need a plan. You go to church, you pray the rosary with your wife, you go to confession once a month, you tithe, you uh, fast, you read the scripture every day. That's a plan. Um, talk about the need for that and the lack thereof, because I'll be honest with you. I mean, I think people do at the bare minimum, some, they go to mass, but that's the bare minimum. I mean, we have to do that. There's a lot more to the growth. Classic, the classic three stages, which come up in many, in all the different spiritual writers in one way or another, are summed up as the purgative way, the illuminative way, and the unitive way. Purgative is, uh, if you like, getting rid of the sin in our life. Illuminative is... Uh, adding the good stuff in our life and adding God's grace and adding the um, good deeds in our life. And the unitive is living in a state of unity with God's grace. However, <clears throat> while we can, again, see these as three stages which are continuous, one following the other, sometimes people get the impression, oh, I have to work through the purgative stage to enter the illuminative stage, and after that I will then enter into the unitive stage. But in fact, all three of them usually exist together. I continue to try to get rid of the sin in my life, to try to open up my life to light God's light and life through the devotions that you've mentioned. And I continue, by God's grace, to live in a unitive state. When we enter in through the, the Christian gate through baptism, we enter the unitive state with God. Now, it's imperfect. It has to be perfected through the purgative and the illuminative. But those three are not necessarily one after the other. It's not like going through a train station. You go through one, and then you get to the next one, and then you get to the next one. Instead, we live in those three all the time, perfecting the point of getting to the unitive where we actually enter into unity with God. Father, let me ask you this before the break. We have about a minute and a half or two minutes before the break. But something that came to my mind based on what you guys were just talking about. Um, do you find that the ethos now, let's keep it with America, right, um, is is so, is somewhat of a um, kind of like a, like a neo-Pelagianism where everybody's just kind of like, hey, if I do enough good things or I can earn, like, why would a good God send me to hell? I do this, or I do that, or I do this. Um, you know where I'm going with that, Father? Do you sense that at all? Rather than, like, like what I've been trying to think about lately in my spiritual life is, what is my relationship with Jesus Christ? Aside from yeah. going to Mass, aside from praying and doing things that, like Joe said and you said, these are basics, okay? But what is my relationship with him? Like, that's the most important thing, not... What, you know, like, how am I going to earn my way to heaven or just convincing myself I'm a great guy? Do you know where I'm going with that, Father? Yeah, if you went out in the street and, put, and shoved a microphone in the face of uh, a bunch of passers-by and say, how would you get into heaven? You can be sure that 95% of them will say, by being good enough, okay? Now, sadly, if you go into most churches and, and shove the microphone in the face of the people in the pew and ask, how do you get to heaven? I bet 80% or 85% would also say by being good enough, okay? And that's the wrong answer, okay? You're right. It's Pelagianism, salvation by works. We don't believe in that. Oh, that's instead, right. Instead, okay. yeah, instead, of course, the answer is 
we are we make our way to heaven by God's grace um, through faith in Jesus Christ, uh, and it's Jesus' work on the cross which opens the path to heaven. And it's only through living by faith, all the stuff that we do, the good works, the service, the prayers, the devotion, the going to mass, the rosary, all these things, these are means to an end. They're not an end in themselves. They are the ladder that we have to get to that unitive state with God. Um, and we do it by God's grace. Um, Joe, the other Joe said earlier, um, you know, what you do is impossible. Of course it's impossible. But um, the Blessed Virgin Mary says, with God, all things are possible, okay? Because by grace is the, um, I think Peter Kreef wrote a book one time about the faith that spiritual life as like surfing, okay? And uh, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good metaphor, okay? God's grace is the wave that we ride, but we have to have a certain amount of skill and practice to be able to get up on the board and ride that wave. Absolutely. Let's take a quick, let's take a quick break, Father. Yeah, I'm sorry to cut you off. You can't surf without the wave. Yeah. Right, right. Um, let's take a quick break. Father Dwight Longenecker is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. His new book, The Way of the Wilderness Warrior, that's available at Sophia Press. You're listening to us on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Uh, Father, do you have a website that people could uh, get more of your work, your articles and things like that? Yeah, DwightLongenecker.com. It's real easy. easy. Yeah, I was going to say, that. that is easy peasy. Uh, so stick around. We have another great segment with Father Dwight Longenecker. You're listening to us on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Remember, download the app, the Veritas app. Share it with your friends. Follow Joe and I on social media at the Frontline TV on YouTube and at with Joe and Joe on Twitter. Uh, like, subscribe, share, do all that fun stuff. Help us out. Stick around. We have another great segment with Father Dwight Longenecker. We'll be right back. Catholic Radio works, and now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic Radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith, families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and His Church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Racinello. We are way in the breach with Father Dwight Longenecker on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. We're discussing his new book, The Way of the Wilderness Warrior, that is available from Sophia Press. All of you out there know what I'm going to say. Please buy the book from the publisher, Joe Racinello. Father, in the book, the main character, Austin, discovers that it's through his wounds and weaknesses that we can grow. Um, that's also a you know, a counter conversation to the world's idea of how they view wounds and weaknesses. Talk about that, because I think many times I'll speak for myself, you know, uh, I'll just use patience. I lack patience. Well, sometimes God puts you in traffic when you lack patience. And, and it's through that that you feel his grace and see his grace work. How did it work for Austin in the book? Yeah, um, when I was doing training as a scriptwriter, the scriptwriter, our, our teacher was an excellent teacher, and he said, uh, your hero must grow through his wound. Your hero must grow through his wound. In other words, when you're creating a hero for a fictional work, he has to have a, he or she has to carry a wound, some deep wound from his past, a, a broken relationship, <clears throat> um, um, uh, you know, a distorted sexuality, uh, a crime from his past, a guilt from his past, something from his past, which is the wound that he carries, and from it is out of that wound that he or she will grow. 
uh, and it's true in the spiritual life as well. Uh, and unfortunately, in our kind of I'm okay, you're okay, um, modern spiritual spiritual understanding, we're trying to get rid of those wounds just by saying that they aren't wounds. Okay, your wound is not healed by saying it's not a wound. Okay, if you if you if you put your hand on top of a stove, it's no good saying, oh, you know, my hand isn't really burning. Uh, it's just a different sensation. Okay, no, you burned your hand, you wounded yourself, you hurt yourself, you need to be healed. Well, let, let's expand. Uh, let's expand on that because concupiscence and i.e. sin is wound. I mean, and we all need it, and that's why we need the Catholic Church. I think that's the miss of our Protestant brothers and sisters. Like, they'll be like, I believe in Jesus. I don't have to go to confession. Well, you don't sin? I do. I go to confession twice a month. I'm a sinner. You know, I tell people that all the time. I, and, and it's an encounter with the Lord. Sin wounds us. <laughs> Isn't that the same thing? And in doing that, like when people come to confession with you, we grow in virtue because God's grace comes into our life. Isn't that true? It is. And um, it's 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 by going it's by first acknowledging the wound and then going to your doctor that you get it fixed. And in the confessional, we meet Dr. Jesus. OK, and he heals those wounds. The other great thing about confession, which I've written about recently on my blog, is <clears throat> The genius of confession is that just by going through that door, you're accepting responsibility for yourself. One of the biggest problems in our modern age is people who are shifting the blame, saying it's somebody else's fault. My my wound is somebody else's fault. It's blaming your parents, blaming some other racial group, blaming some other political group, blaming some other economic group. Somebody else is always at fault. But what can when you go to confession, you're saying, actually, it's my fault. I'm taking responsibility for myself. I'm going to do something about this by God's grace. And that's the genius of confession. Father, I, I, one of the things that Joe and I don't do on the show, we don't, we don't beat up on anybody, but we are, I think sometimes I think we, we are rightfully critical or we ask those questions that remember earlier, we were talking about the Socratic method, but isn't that one of the, one of the, let's call it negative consequences of the Protestant Reformation, particularly with Luther. Now, again, correct me if I'm wrong. It seems to me that what you just described is that a human being being held accountable, holding themselves accountable for their actions, for their sin, and going to Christ and saying, Jesus, I'm sorry, all right? I don't want to do these things. As Paul said, I do the things I don't want to do. I, I don't do the things I should do. So we go to Christ, okay? And we, I think that's a very... I think, very sober way of looking at our concupiscence and dealing with it. Did Luther not invert that somewhat? Seemingly, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but kind of blaming God for our sins, um, saying, I can't help myself. Um, you know, like, am I, I think you know where I'm going with that, Father, but am I wrong the way I'm looking at that? And isn't that a problem if, in fact, that's what Luther was suggesting? I, I don't think that he suggested that explicitly but i think you're right that it's an implicit um side effect of, of of protestant theology um to blame somebody else to blame somebody else for the problem rather than taking responsibility ourselves thank you for that father yeah and when go we ahead, step, go ahead. And, and when we step up and go to confession that beautiful gift of the catholic faith um it's not just a matter of going to god and saying oh i've done some dirty things i've done some naughty things i want to i want to get clean again that's of course that's part of it but it's it, that's a kind of immature approach to confession <clears throat> the more mature approach is to say like gk Sesterton's famous line what's wrong with the world i am 
And that great, that simple step of humility is just amazing. This hits me when I hear the first confessions of our of our of our little children. You know, it's this time of the year when we have first holy first holy communion, and I hear the confessions of the seven and eight year olds, and I'm blown away by them because here are these kids at the age of seven, at the age of reason, receiving this most profound and important lesson of life that, first of all, they are responsible for themselves, and they have the power and the will to take control of their own lives by God's grace and to do something about it. And the receiving this at this foundational level of life and it blows me away because I think this is going to give them a successful approach to life, this, to the spiritual life and to life in general. And I would argue further that this is actually what why Christianity has changed the world, because it moves people from fatalism, which is, I really can't do anything about my life. It's somebody else's fault. In the pagan world, it was it's the gods and goddesses' fault. Um, it's fatalism. Can't do anything about it. Christianity comes through and says, yes, actually, you can do something about it. And it begins with confession. And and I I, I just I was moved by that story when you were talking about the the you know, the, the, the the seven year olds. That's so not just to getting to heaven, Joe. You mentioned earlier about the plan of getting to heaven, the importance of that, but even just for your life. That yeah. is such a that is such a major major uh, uh, cinder block in the foundation is that humility, um, just in terms of being able to cope with life, to be able to wake up and you get punched in the face and you say, all right, okay, I mean that's going to happen, and you know I don't have to sit here and harbor resentment and bitterness. I mean, Father, correct me if I'm wrong. You can comment on this if you want. One of the problems out there is this generational hatred and bitterness, this resentment of something that happened to grandma and great-grandma and great-grandpa and great-great-grandpa. It's like, and they people carry this. It's like, and, and they apply it to their lives. And I don't know if they realize, like, you want to say to them, dude, nobody wants to be around you because you don't know how to cope with life if you just go around blaming everybody for everything. Father, please, your comments on that. It's a, it's a, I've written about this time and again. It's a totally immature approach to life, and we see it everywhere. We, it's being seen, we see it being cultivated by our, by our culture, by our media. Blame somebody else. Okay, it's the white people's fault. It's the black people's fault. It's the immigrants' fault. It's the rich people's fault. It's the Democrats' fault. It's the Republicans' fault. It's the Catholics' fault. It's the Protestants' fault. It's somebody else's fault. Just leave it behind. What are you, you know, in seventh grade still? You know, grow up. Grow up. Take responsibility for yourselves. Take responsibility for your spiritual life, for your family's spiritual life, for your church, for your world, and you can actually change things. That's that's the whole dynamic. I think that's the most important thing you just said is, uh, is, is yeah, if you really are interested in change, then maybe you should take a different approach. Maybe maybe you need a little paradigm shift there. Father yeah. Dwight Longenecker is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Please go out and purchase his new book, The Way of the Wilderness Warrior, that's available at Sophia Press. Joe Racinello. One of the themes of the book is surrendering to God and answering his call to perfection. Once again, this is a call for all baptized Catholics. A couple of things came to mind as you guys were talking. Um on the first in the first segment, we were talking about things we do to to reach union with God. I actually look at it uh, when it comes to surrendering. It's bending to God. It's not necessarily those are like to uh, to to echo what Father said. These are means to an end. But am I actually bending my will? And I have five kids. 
two of them are very young, a two-year-old and a one-year-old. And when I go to church, um, sometimes I can't kneel because I'm carrying. Sometimes I have two kids on my lap. I can't kneel or I can't stand. And I think to myself, while that's important because that's part of the ritual, it's more important that my will is kneeling. I think of it, it's like a reminder to me. I have to bend my will. And we're reluctant to do that. All of us are for a million different reasons. But in order to surrender to God, our will has to bend. Talk about the need for that. Because again, talking about getting out of your comfort zone, that's probably the biggest block for people to get to heaven bending our will. It's not my way that's important. It's God's way that's important. And I have to be not only receptive to it, but I got to execute. And that means I got to bend down, i.e. my will. Yeah. And I think finding God's will is uh, the the huge a task at hand. And this is why I set the book with a um, a hero who's a college kid, because it's at that crucial stage in life in our early 20s when we're searching for our vocation, searching for God's will, if it, uh, that we're able to learn also to listen to for what God's will actually is. And the priest in the first half of the book sets this up for the kids. And he says, look, there is such a thing as God's general will, which is uh, to become a saint, to make it to heaven. That's his will for all of the baptized. That's the general will we have to first learn. But the specific will is how does God want you to do that? What is your particular path to be able to do that? And he sets them on a quest to discover that step by step. And so Austin, the hero of the book, um, it goes to a monastery in Oklahoma, meets a hermit to be able to help to dis- to discern his, to refine the general will to his specific will, uh, that God's will for him, and that's 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 the whole part of the quest is to be able to discern to be able to discern that and discover that, and to learn how to listen in order to discover that. I recently, speaking of a, of a quest, uh, Sister Claire, I can't remember her last name. You may know it, or Joe. She died in an earthquake in, I believe, Ecuador. She was an Irish nun. Um, EWTN had a documentary on her life. The reason why I bring it up is she talked about every day. And she was sort of like a wild lady before she became a nun. No one thought she was going to become a nun. She Her theme was all or nothing. And then she becomes a nun, and she said, every day I would write God a blank check. And it made me think, because, like, obviously she's doing good stuff. She's teaching poor kids. But stuff happens during the day. And I'm kind of, you know, I know that because I have five kids. And I hold on to my plans and my thing. And she's like, no, I have a blank check. If God pulls me in another direction, I say, you know something, put that down and I'm going to do this. Well, I don't do that, but that's why I bring that up. So part of the deal, I think, in surrendering is to have that black check, blank check, just to be like, all right, you know, today I was going to do X, Y, and Z. Well, God doesn't want me to do that today. Today I got a, my kid's sick. I got to, I got to sit with my kid. That's my day. So, and that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to put down X, Y, and Z. But we don't want to do that either. We don't discern. Like, talk about that. I mean, like, because I think that's part of it. We're too rigid. And in order to really take that risk, get out of the boat, you can't be rigid. God might be like, listen, Father, I need you to go here. 
You're going to go here. That's what you got to do. And then you're like, I can't do this today. I got to do talk about it because I don't think we, we want to do that. I think one of the ways to discern, as I like the idea of the, the image of the blank check, but also to be able to discern the way forward is to be able to listen to God's um, will and to be open to possibilities, to see open doors um, and not charge through deciding what we want to do, but be able to see possibilities. I can remember when I was um, in college, I sort of wanted to serve the Lord, be a missionary, but I said to the Lord, Lord, I'm willing to go anywhere except Central America. <laughs> I said, I do not really want to go somewhere where the food is hot and the weather is hotter and they wear sombreros and have mariachi music. Okay. I'm not going there. <laughs> so, so uh, he called me to England, which was fine. I loved England. Okay. I went to England and I was damp for 25 years. Um, and uh, it was great. I loved it. But then I come back to America and guess what? The first thing I'm asked to do once I'm a college, uh, I'm a Catholic priest in a, in a high school in America. Father, would you like to lead a mission team to El Salvador? <laughs> so the circle comes round. But by this time, I was able to say, yeah, that sounds like a great adventure. I learned that that um, God gives us possibilities and presents us with opportunities. And he doesn't force us. He says, what about this? And we look at it creatively and say, that because we now have this adventure mentality. Yeah, I'm going to give that a try. Let's go and do it. Yeah, I think I, I, I'm glad we're having this conversation. Father Dwight Longenecker are joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe, because I think a lot of people rightfully might be listening and say, yeah, but I do have the kids. I got the wife. I got the bills to pay. I got all this stuff. You're talking about you want me to be Bilbo Baggins and go on an adventure and go try to slay the dragon. I don't I love to do that. I love to. OK, um, and and but I just don't have I, I, I don't have the time. Um, I guess where I'm going with this, Father, is. And again, let's assume that, that that person is a good Catholic. They're, they are doing the ABCs. They're, they're, you know, they're in prayer and, and they're seeking the relationship with Jesus. What would you say to that person? I mean, how would they how would they recognize that an adventure perhaps is staring them right in the face? They might not even know it. Yeah. Uh, again, my book has uh, a hero uh, as a, a college age kid as a hero because he's got the freedom and he's got the um, life ahead of him to be able to make some real radical interesting decisions okay to go to a monastery in oklahoma for some people who are locked into their everyday life which they and they have the responsibilities to their family and so forth and so on the great adventure might actually be taking out the checkbook and writing a huge check to 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 the local sort of pro-life center or something okay uh for them the adventure might actually be for some people, the adventure might actually be getting up out of their comfort zone, which means getting up a little bit earlier to pray for another 30 minutes, okay? It might be deciding to go to daily mass, okay? It might be something which is seemingly mundane, <clears throat> but for them is a step out of the comfort zone. For them, it might mean getting their butt up out of the easy chair and going and 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 doing washing the dishes instead of expecting their family to do it. Okay, it might be any number of small things, but the, the spirit is still there of getting up out of the comfort zone and doing something beautiful for God. See, I'm, I'm glad you said that, Father Dwight Longenecker, because that's, that's, that's kind of the way I thought about it, and that's why I wanted to ask you, is like, okay, start adding some things you know, again, through prayer, don't just arbitrarily, you know, just go and say, I'm going to go do this. You know, pray on it, pray the rosary, pray, you know, pray to Our Lady, uh, ask for guidance. 
But then when you get your answer, by all means, get up and go and do it. I, I mean, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. I, I, I was always very reluctant to go and pray in front of an abortion clinic. I didn't want to I didn't want to go there. I, I go out and pray the rosary in front of an abortion clinic. I don't want to do that. All right. But I, I won't bore you with the long winded story. But God put me in a position to do it. Now, did it radically change my life or my plans on a Saturday that where I was just going to wake up at 10 o'clock rather than wake up at 7 o'clock and go down to old St. Patrick's in New York City? All right. No, that wasn't such a radical shift. But what did I do? I, I did go on an adventure. That is an adventure. All right. It turned out to be a little bit more of an adventure because then you realize there was a bunch of crazy people on the other side screaming at you in your face. But leaving that aside for a second, just the act of doing it to be around other Catholics, to be praying a rosary um, in, in front of an abortion clinic. I remember thinking in my mind, wow, where did this come from? And I think that's kind of like the way God's going to respond or you'll respond to God when you, you and I'm just using that as an example is, yeah, you're going to say to yourself, where did that come from? It came from God. That's it. Start doing more of that. What do you think, Father? Yeah. Also, uh, you know, the great the great act of obedience comes after lots of small acts of obedience. Okay, you take a little step on the on the right path, and things opens up, and that gives you the courage to do the next thing. But if if you don't respond to God's opportunities and you don't actually be obedient to the call, He's not going to call you to something greater until you do something smaller. Okay, and so He understands that we take take little steps. You know. Peter gets out of the boat to walk on the waves, but he had to get to the gunnels of the boat first, okay? He had to actually get to the edge of the boat before he actually took the step onto the waves. So, uh, yeah, we, we follow step by step. The other thing is to realize that when we do this, there has to be an element of <clears throat> seeing God provide, okay? If we're doing it in our own strength, it's well we can't okay so we see god provide therefore in the story for instance austin had to get 450 dollars to go out to the the monastery in oklahoma his family's poor he doesn't have the money so um father lawrence his mentor says ask god for the money so austin says i he says i did something i never did before i asked god for money so he comes back to his apartment and somebody offers he needs 450 dollars somebody offers him for, uh he, he has a scooter to get around uh charleston where he's a college student and it's worth 300 dollars. and somebody comes in and offers him 450 for it i love it i love it okay so there has to be a dimension in obedient in uh, in being obedient to god's call where we actually see him provide for us very often it's monetary. Sometimes it's in the in the forms of relationships. Um, I can remember uh, when I was in England. I went to England. I didn't know anybody in the whole country, but I felt this call to be an English priest. And um, I was over there, and after the first year, it kind of wore off. The, the novelty and the interest and the fun of it wore off, and I was very, very lonely. Uh, and I said to God, I need a friend. Uh, the next day, one of the other students knocks on my door and invites me to come and play chess. Okay, it's a small thing, but God provides relationships. He provides the people you need. He provides the money you need. He provides things step by step if you follow along. Father, I'm going to hand it over to Joe, and I want to tell you something very personal. All right, and 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 I, I firmly believe this with my whole heart. Okay, um, I've been having a in my mind, and I've been having a lot of issues lately, and a little bit of confusion, you know, work related stuff, and all that. And my wife said to me, she goes, "Well, don't you trust God?" And I said, "Well, I do trust God," and I kind of like gave her this kind of equivocal answer, right? I believe this conversation we're having today, you, I, and Joe, I, I, is so providential because, because it, and, and that's why I'm glad we're given, doing this for a radio audience too, because there's a lot of people out there who might 
either get frustrated or fear trusting in God. And this whole conversation is just, cha- it's just changed what I've been thinking for the last, let's say two or three or four weeks. Um, and kind of almost like in a little self-pity kind of way, what was me type stuff and really, really lifting me up. And I, I mean that sincerely from my heart. And that's the way we have to start looking at things. I see this conversation as, as providential. I really do. Joe Resinello. Providence, to your point, Father, comes in in small bits. Um, we talked about getting out of the boat and how I look at it uh, as a father of five kids. Um, I don't know how I'm going to send them to college. I'll be honest with you. Uh, I got five kids under eight. How am I going to do it? I don't know. But I know I will, and I'll tell you why. Because when we trust God, he'll show you that he'll provide better than you can. You see, that's a theme that drives me. I'm afraid to trust me because then God's going to be like, all right, I'll watch you fail because you'll fail. But if you trust me, I'll get you there. And I have seen that in my life in little segments. And that's how I rely on providence. I cling to God because I know I can't do it. Yeah. And, and talk about that, because I'm sure yeah. you've experienced similar, you know, things in yeah. your life as a father well, you and say as a God priest. says, I will watch you fail. Sometimes it's not quite as harsh as that. Sometimes it's simply God saying, you know, I'm going to see you have less than less than the best. I got the best lined up here for you. But that's um, right. And, and you, he comes you choose, through. You choose, you choose your way uh, and you're always aiming for less than I have planned for you. Um, so but people don't believe that father, yeah. you see, that's what we have to convince our, our people, man. I honestly, like they, that's what stops Catholics from being open to life. That very yeah. thing. Yeah. I don't, ahead, give you an example. I'll give you an example from my own life. I went to England wanting to be a, an Anglican priest. And it was a beautiful dream. It was a beautiful idea. It was a wonderful thing. Um, being a Catholic at that point when I was in my early twenties was like totally, unthinkable okay but um eventually uh it led that way but if i had continued that and refused the call to become a catholic uh, i would still be probably an anglican priest but that would have been far less than the blessings that i've had by taking this other step and so um yeah go your own way and, and go your according to your own decisions but you might get less than the best I think you know one line I used to hear when I was a stockbroker back in back in my bad old days when I was in my 20s and 30s was you know never never settle always select something like that okay and what I find in the culture is the people that say that are the ones that usually settle they sell they settle for the less than the best I think because they, they, like you were talking about comfort zones and not wanting to get out of the boat and people get there and they're kind of I think there's a delusion to say, well, no, that's it. I, I've, I've achieved the best. I have a certain amount of money. I have a certain car that I want. And th- I think they subconsciously are settling, even though they think they're, they're, they're actually choosing or selecting something better. Um, you're, 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 any comments on that, Father? Yeah. Um, somebody said it to me some, some time ago, and I've always remembered it. He said a really simple saying. He says, people do what they want. 
People do what they want. They get what they want. And God calls us to want the actual, the very best, the highest that we can, we can, the more than he, what's that line in the Bible? He has far greater things for us than we can ever, we can ever um, dream or imagine. And uh, we settle for less than the best. We settle for good things, but well, he wants us to give us to, to aspire to better things and the best things. This is the call to sanctity, not sanctity uh, and becoming a saint like some plaster saint, which is just boring and dull. And none of them are boring and dull, but that's our vision of them. Uh, but instead, a life of adventure, a life of abundance that is far greater than we can imagine. I couldn't, I couldn't think of a life more adventurous than St. Francis of Assisi's. You know, like, especially when you look at the, the arc of his life and being wealthy and coming from a from a wealthy family and throwing off that cloak and and hugging lepers and dying young. You know, he, he you know, he died young. Yet what an adventure he went on. And he is a saint. Nothing boring yeah. about St. Francis's life. And every saint does when you look at them. But I'm talking about the worldly concept of saint of saints as being these rather boring little girls stuck in a nun stuck in a convent somewhere and 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 uh, leading this dull religious life they haven't got a clue how adventuresome that is saint therese is one of my favorites and she it's, it would be very easy to write her off as a <clears throat> just that you know a boring pious little french girl um, when in fact she's this terrific hero Absolutely. Father Dwight Longenecker, the book is The Way of the Wilderness Warrior. It's available at Sophia Press. Uh, final thought, we have a minute left. Father, final thoughts for our audience. What would you like to impart? Yeah, I would only uh, wish to say, you know, pick up this book if you can. Share it especially with young people because I hope that young people will be inspired by this by this book and go off the spiritual quest. There's a lot of content in it as well. It's not just a, a little sort of adventure story. I've done a lot of research in the spiritual, the different spiritual um the different spiritualities in the Catholic Church and tried to compress them together into this story so that they actually uh, blend together and we, we can learn from all those, uh, from St. Benedict, St. Cassian, St. Aylred, um, St. Francis de Sales, St. Uh, John of the Cross, and so forth. Thank you, Father Longenecker, for coming back on the front line with Joe and Joe. It's always a great conversation with you. You're always very insightful. And like I said, I'm not just saying it. Joe and I, we learn as much as our audience does. So as always, we thank you for coming back on the show. We look forward to having you having you back when you when you're finished with your autobiography. And we could we could talk about that and mix it up a little bit more. Okay. Thanks very much. God bless you guys. God bless you, Father. And thank you all out there for joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith in the New York City metropolitan area. Two things, download the app, share it with your friends, and please follow Joe and I on social media, the Frontline TV on YouTube, and at with Joe and Joe on Twitter, at with Joe and Joe on Twitter. Like, subscribe, share, do all that fun stuff. And remember until the next time that our conversation is your conversation, and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.